everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 10 today. This is the account where Saul is finally anointed king. And the real big thing, I think, that you don't want to forget about is that this anointing, um, that's the word for Messiah there. A, a Messiah just means anointed one. So this is where Saul becomes the Messiah so to speak. And this is really interesting to, to look at in terms of thinking about what we mean, uh, that, that Christ is the anointed one, like Christ, of course, meaning Messiah or anointed one also itself, uh, seeing these similarities between Saul and uh, Jesus, our Lord, to follow. Uh, really, really big chapter in the Old Testament here where all of this, all of this gets rolling. So, uh, good stuff today, and we're joined by our guest. We've got on deck uh, one of our regulars. We've got Pastor Scott Adel, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing, doing all right, though I gotta say, uh, the whole red sun in the sky thing is is uh, pretty weird. It, I'm like, I was telling my <laughs> wife this morning, like, it, it, this feels like something out of Joel, like a, like a prophecy. I mean, the there sun turning yeah. into blood or something. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty weird times. Uh, I have seen yeah. pictures, but yeah, I'll take your word for it that being there is a whole other level. Yeah, you know, and and I think it's, uh, I mean, it's just a reminder in some ways how. Like there is just such a difference and like a privilege, I guess, that we have that, uh, I mean, in the ancient world, stuff was burning down left and right. I mean, like war mm-hmm. was something that seemed to happen like, like, like football season. And we're, we're just yeah. so far removed from it it's that, that, that seeing like all this ash in the sky and raining down like snow is, is an uncommon and weird thing. But in the times where they were looking for a king, it happened uh-huh. all the time. And if we had been in that situation, wouldn't we be clamoring for a king to defend us? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is exactly, as you said, one of, the, one of the reasons they specifically ask for a king is so that he can lead them in battle. And, I mean, you just come out of the period of the judges, where, as you said, every several years someone else is attacking it, and they're always taking stuff. It's never some <laughs> benevolent empire only wanting to protect you. Yeah. It's, it's instead... No. They're there, and they're going to—I mean, a lot of times, like with Gideon, they're just taking food from you. They're just stealing your things. And uh, obviously the Israelites have enough of this, and they just said, just give us a king like the other guys, like, like the guys yeah. who are in charge. We want, we want someone like that. Yeah, and, and I think it becomes a lot more—we're um, able to sympathize a lot more easily when we— when we stop and reflect on that, that, you know, if, if we were in a situation like, situation like you were saying where people are just taking our food left and right and we're not even sure we're going to be able to, you know, make ends meet where it's just looking really bad, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot more synth- sympathizable. And I suppose also, too, on a day like uh, September 11th here, looking back mm-hmm. uh, on this day, it's a reminder that these sorts of disasters um we're not immune to that either even in our own modern times um you know, even nope. though there's already you know so many so much of gen z that was born like after this took place uh just looking back and thinking about that it's you know yeah this stuff happens even in the modern world and in a lot more subtle ways even um since since that that horrific uh, event and i think for especially for christians it, it should give them pause and remind them wait 
this kind of stuff has happened before, and especially when you get to, I mean, we're not talking about Acts now, but when you when you get to the Ascension and the disciples are just staring up in the sky, and the angels tell them, you don't you don't need to stare up in the sky. He he will return as you saw him go. But when Jesus talks about the coming of the Son of Man and he talks about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and disasters, if if you as a Christian go through, like you say, the the sky completely turning to blood, and this doesn't give you pause and make you think yeah. it could be today, that, then I don't think yeah. you're staying awake in the same way that Jesus told us to stay awake. Because you're right, no one is immune. The day is coming. And the, these kind of things should cause us to remember things that went on in the Scriptures so that we are prepared and so that we are looking for the right things. But, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that's that's uh, that's spot on. I mean, you just—I mean, the, the the perspective of faith, right, just colors the way you look at things. And so, when you look yeah. up and you see that the sky's a different color, it's like that—that that should be like kind of ringing bells. And and uh, <laughs> there's all this imagery, right? And yeah, and I think that this in chapter ten here in First uh, Samuel chapter ten, this this anointing—it's it's so fascinating because it's like this is on the one hand, it's like a I don't know. On the one hand, you can look at this as a low point, right? This is like, oh no, they're they're kind of crystallizing this this almost like divorce with God, this rejection of Him as King. Here they are, yeah. you know, uh, kind of figuratively crowning a man as King. This is a horrible, horrible day, right? But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I mean, it's presented, I think, um, in a beautiful way, and 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 I think it's it's almost like I don't know. It's like you can almost just see the Lord Jesus being baptized in the Jordan, like, while this is happening. So it, it's an amazing paradox here that in the midst of uh, these kind of scary and even uh, horrible events and images and days, those are the ones that let you see the things of faith and those beautiful images that come through. But I, I think you touched on something that's that's unique in Samuel as well as the Scriptures, is there's some deep currents running here. And one, as you said, is reflecting back to chapter 7, where God says to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they have rejected me as king over them. And yet God is going to use this king system that the people were asking for, God is going to use it to his own ends. So much so that, I mean, all all the way back in in the first five books, he'd set up rules for kings. He, He knew a king was coming. He knew what they were asking for. And yet, since they ask for a king, uh, he he will eventually give them, I mean, a human king who will be the king of kings. And as as you were talking about earlier, it touches on the point that that Samuel will be the anointed one. And this is how David talks about him over and over again, and why David refuses to fight against him, even when his life is on the line. Because I will not lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed, that, that he is the Christ chosen by God for this specific time, and when God wants to remove him, he will. Uh, and until then, we're going to, we're going to, I guess, in David's sense, at least suffer under him or have to hide from him yep. for a while. And so you, you, you do have this Christ what? language, this king language. But go ahead. Well, I was going to say like that, just to your point about, um, you know, sub, like David saying, you know what, we're going to suffer under him, right? Like we're going to bear this i mean in many ways this is what we deserve 
you know, we, we got mm-hmm. the king that we deserved, um, and, and this is the king that God gave us, and we're going to just, we're going to deal with that. We're not going to end his life and his, his rule prematurely through rebellion. And uh, yeah. that idea, I mean, David does what the people of Israel couldn't do, which was uh, live under the, the corruption of uh, Samuel's sons, right? Like Joel Correct. and, um, yeah. what was it, Abijah? Was it the other one? Um but like they 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 wouldn't they they said you know what no they're 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 corrupt we don't like them we don't agree with their politics mm-hmm. you know we're we're ousting them and getting a new, a new guy, um, and, and I think that's like the the problem I guess this kind of short sighted discontentment and I mean it really is something I think that speaks even to our own day because even as we um, you know since nine eleven have a you know not necessarily clamored for a king but clamored for. Special powers being given to the executive branch, clamored yeah. for the TSA, clamored for yeah. wars halfway across the world. I mean, whatever it was, right? I mean, we have in many ways done us, the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So we've in many ways done the same thing, and mm-hmm. and yet if God can work through Saul and yeah. the kings, which, I mean, is a, is a nasty thing. I, I think God is working through even these things today, despite some uh, very real flaws. He is. And, I mean, some of their—I mean, they're not—obviously, the people aren't all dumb. They recognize—and I think this is one of the things that's running through First and Second Samuel especially, is this uh, relationship between fathers and sons— in First and Second Samuel is one that keeps coming mm-hmm. up, and so it first came up with Eli, and that his children, right. his sons, were not good, and he gets a kind of substitute son in Samuel, and then Samuel becomes, you know, the the prophet and leader, last judge, if you want to call him that, of the people, but the people recognize that his sons are not like him, and that they need someone else who, I mean, they want justice is one of the things that they're asking for, which is certainly a good desire. Some of their other desires, like like we said, wanting to be just like the other nations is not good. It is actually what Saul will end up being. He, he will end up being a king just like those other nations, and they don't like him when he's like that. But as you had Samuel as a, as a replacement son for Eli, now in this chapter specifically, you almost have Saul as a replacement son for Samuel. And then this mm. will carry on down when you get to... Uh, now, Saul's son, Jonathan, actually is a good one, although at cross-purposes with his dad at times, but he's actually a faithful yeah. son. And then when you get to Second Samuel chapter 7, God steps in and says, you know what, I'm going to have a son, and I he, he will be the king for me. And... If, when he sins, I would actually punish him, which is not something that comes across with Eli and Samuel, but that God, I mean, and this will point forward to Christ, who, who will bear all of our sins and will take the punishment for all of us. But that that will ultimately be the answer to this father-son problem, is having both a good father and a good son who who will yeah. build the house and the kingdom that will... Uh, last forever. I, I think that's a uh, that's a really great way of looking at it. That there is this uh, this father son problem, and in chapter ten is and, and I think it's, that's a really interesting way to kind of read this as a lens in chapter ten. And I think we'll we'll make some cool connections if we think about that and ask the question about 
you know, like whose whose son is Saul really, and and, and how does that work? And yeah, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I I like that. Let's 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 hang on to that. Um, but before we go ahead and turn to the chapter, brother, would you open us up with a prayer? Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this day. Please be with us as you as we read your word, uh, that we would understand it and that we would know the truth from this word. And that as we look as at Saul as an anointed, uh, he points us forward to the greater anointed, uh, your son, Jesus the Christ, uh, in whom we have salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, anything else that you think we ought to mention briefly before we go ahead and give this a read through for Samuel chapter 10? No, I mean, obviously it picks up right where chapter 9 left off, and you remember that Saul was out looking for his father's donkeys, and they went for a few days and hadn't found them, and so right. Saul's friend tells him to turn into the city because he knows there's a prophet, and he has a nickel on him or a quarter on him and says, well, we can give this to the guy and maybe he'll help us out. And when he right. goes there, he, he he meets Samuel, and Samuel treats him much better than you would expect for someone just asking for some advice about where his donkeys went. I mean, yeah. there, there are a couple of different ways to take I mean, donkeys in the Scripture are quite often seen as king's mounts. Yep. And there may be some, maybe you talked about this the other day, but... Uh, there may be something to the fact that Saul had donkeys, he's lost them, and never quite finds them and is chasing after them. There is maybe some kind of, of foreshadowing of what's going to happen to his kingdom, whereby he's become king. But very soon, Samuel will tell him, listen, this is going to be torn from you. Your family will not sit on the throne. And Saul tries to chase after it, but ultimately he won't find them, or he won't be able to hold on to it. Uh, that there's that going on. But the other way to look at it is Saul went out looking for a donkey and he becomes a king. What a yeah. fantastic. <laughs> he got a what lot a, more than he bargained kind of for. Yeah. He, he yeah, looks, exactly. he looks for some donkeys and he gets a kingdom. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and in some ways, uh, he, he may initially think that that's a, that's a really good thing. And, but, but maybe it's, uh, maybe he would have preferred the donkeys in the end when it's all said and done. Um, but, um, it, yeah. it, it is interesting too. That in the previous chapter, I think, uh, yeah, we did. And we did talk a little bit about the donkey thing, but I think you brought up a couple other side elements to it, and uh, and also interesting how God says, you know, this is the man who will, who will restrain my people, like kind of like thinking about like restraining like a donkey or an animal or something. Um, yeah, they're really. I, I think it is a very, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very full metaphor with a lot of things. And to paraphrase a a donkey, a donkey, my kingdom for a donkey. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh well yeah, let's let's go ahead then. This is first Samuel chapter ten here in the English Standard Version. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? 
Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to, finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. And when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden, among, hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. 
I got to say, this chapter to me is amazing because I I just, I mean, I've said this a couple times, but this is actually the one like more than any other so far. I feel like there's just echoes of this like all over the place. Um, I mean, there's echoes, I mean, not even just in scripture, but just um, even like expressions like we, that we say that someone's like head and shoulders above everyone else or something like that. And it's like, what's kind of the comical scene that you have right here in this yeah. chapter where he's literally head and shoulders above everyone. Um, uh-huh. But so you have it in, in expressions, you have it just in kind of the imagery that we have in our own storytelling. Um, but yeah, in scripture, just like all these different moments, like you got the mockers who despise him. How can this man save us? This feels like the Lord at the cross. Um, you, uh-huh. you know, the, the, the anointing that happens uh, kind of away from the public eye, um, and then, and then later we're going to have like the, the bigger one. I mean, just in so many ways, it's just like, this is just foreshadowing and getting the ball rolling on so many different uh, little threads throughout all of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fascinating chapter. It's, it's also, I think that Saul is a fascinating character Yeah, and there are clearly a lot of sides to him and you, and you see some of it already coming up here. So, I mean, like you said, he went out looking for his donkeys. By, they didn't find him, so they stumbled upon this guy. The guy says he's going to make him king, and he anoints him. And this is clearly a, a little bit more privately. Yeah. And the, so so much so that even when his uncle asks him about it, he doesn't even mention it. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know if he even – I don't even know how much he believes Samuel. But the things that Samuel talked about having happening, uh, meeting the people and, and the signs that he talked about him – happened but like i said when you kind of don't know if what he thinks about samuel's first initial sign or or first initial anointing of making him king and then it's confirmed later on publicly the tribes are all brought but when it comes down to him he's hiding yeah And, and this is kind of in contrast to as you said he stands head and shoulders above the rest of them and and this is something that, that will come up over and over again in the Samuels, is he looks the part, and yet he's going yeah. to not quite act the part and will actually end up acting like a wicked king uh, by, the, by, you know, halfway through his reign. And that mm-hmm. one of the reasons that the pe- people specifically wanted a king was to fight against the Philistines, and fighting against the Philistines is something that Saul n- never initiates in these books. The Philistines are the ones who, who who have Goliath. And so later on, when you get to chapter 18 or 20, wherever it is, uh, yeah. when and even in this chapter, right, the Philistines, the garrison of the Philistines is nearby, and there's no movement by Saul about doing anything about it. And later on, it will take Jonathan, will be actually the one who instigates that. Later on, yeah. it will be David who instigates that. And and for someone who is recognizably uh, of kingly stature yeah. and appearance, he yeah. doesn't end up being the guy. And even later on, as I said, th- this will play out later uh, when Samuel goes to anoint David and he looks upon Eliab and Abinadab, David's older brothers, and they surely these are the, this is the guy. And David says, "No, God doesn't see as people see. God looks at the heart." 
And it'll even track down to David's son when uh, Absalom looks the part. He's a beautiful man. It says he's beautiful from his head to his foot. And yet he also will put the wrong foot forward and get killed for it by his vanity. Uh, it's Yeah, Saul, Saul is an interesting man. And here it seems that he is hesitant and shy and not quite the guy who wants to do what the people want him to do. However, later yeah. on, when it's against the Philistines, he won't raise his hand. But it, when it's against his own people, he does start to act like a tyrant over them. So much so that, I mean, Samuel's the one who anoints him. When when Samuel goes to Bethlehem to anoint David, the people are already aware that Saul is a dangerous man. And when Samuel comes, they'll even ask him, do you come peaceably? And he'll say, yeah. yes, I come peaceably. But e- even before he gets there, Samuel himself recognizes that Saul's a danger because he, because he, t- he tells the Lord, well, how am I going to go anoint another person? With yeah, Saul, right. When Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And so yep. God gives Samuel his cover story. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's so much like subterfuge and, and hiddenness and, and dodginess, right? I mean, it's fascinating the way that I mean, even Samuel, uh, right here, right when he's uh, just talking to uh, the, the servant that that Saul has with him, you know, um, back in chapter nine, like tell the servant to pass on before us, you know, and stop here yourself for a while. You yeah. know, that I may make known to you the word. I mean, it's like, he didn't say anything about, like, anointing him king. He's just like, oh, I just want to tell, I just want to talk a little bit. Can you just, just go on ahead? You know, <laughs> it's just, um, I think there's something to that, though. And I think it's, I mean, for me, the thing I'm thinking about is this kind of, like, hidden Messiah idea uh, gets mm-hmm. uh, picked up in the Gospels, actually, in a really uh, profound way. Um, and then I think your broader point that you were making earlier about, you know, how, like, some of these people, they, they kind of seem good for a moment, and then they, they turn out not to be. I mean, I, I think it's a really profound way of really kind of seeing just how God um, shows up through sinners kind of all the time, like ourselves. So a lot of yeah. good things to be thinking about. We want to we take a look at some of these in detail. Going back to the beginning of the chapter, after we get back from the break, everybody hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 10 on Nice Strong Word. Be right back. Music, like the human spirit, is able to laugh, cry, hope, comfort, contemplate, and celebrate. All those sorts of music and more are part of the weekly program Sing for Joy. Let your spirit be touched by great music of the church. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. How do I keep my kids in church? Will there still be a church for them to go to? New people have moved into my neighborhood. How do I reach out to them? Our challenges are many, but it is Jesus who makes disciples for life through his church. Let's come together as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to discuss this joyful work. 
Learn more about the Making Disciples for Life initiative at lcms.org slash makingdisciples. Again, that's lcms.org slash makingdisciples. Live Friday on Issues Etc. We'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. The listener with the best vote gets the Lutheran Public Radio bundle package, and I have Issues t-shirt, travel mug, pen, bumper sticker, and notepad. Vote in advance at facebook.com slash issues etc. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 10, the anointing of Saul, and uh, just all the, the different things that are foreshadowed and all the different ways that the ball's getting rolling, all these different threads throughout the scriptures, just uh, the picture that we're talking about, the hidden Messiah, or how, uh, you know, Saul, like, he, he seems to—I mean, it's, it's, I, I want to talk about this, how it's like these different ways that he's described as being a different man— God makes him, gives him a different heart, makes him a different man. He becomes different, um, but only for a time. And like, and this, what a, what a profound uh, image that is. A lot of good things for us to talk about. Joined today by our guest, Pastor Scott Adel, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Adel, give us a call one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven, or if you're in St. Louis, three one four eight two one. 0850, or you can join the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Already got a few good questions here, uh, there, kind of as, asking about the this whole group of the prophets and the proverb that they talk about. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, ink there on this prophets thing, so we'll want to talk about that. Um, you can also send any comments or questions, email kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, some of the questions that we got over uh, email are basically kind of looking at the symbolic significance of these things like you know is this whole thing kind of meant to be like a tragedy that we're reading how you know this isn't going to turn out well or on the other side um you know what really is the symbolic significance of uh this oil poured upon the head and the kiss so kind of or or even um comparing this all to the ark of the covenant that you know uh, what happened to i mean after all this uh emphasis on the Ark, it's like we haven't had it mentioned for a chunk of time. So kind of trying to look at the symbolism um, and, and the things of significance here. So some good questions there. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, their website, lhfmissions.org. So turning back to the chapter and uh, going to the top, well, I guess we can just look at this uh, question about the significance of the oil and the kiss, right? Um, back in verse one, in chapter ten, um, I, I gotta say, I, <laughs> to be honest, I had a moment where when I started reading, and I was like, "Hang on a second, did did I <laughs> did I skip a chapter?" That's honestly what I thought to myself. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of amazing just how, I mean, like he tell he tells the servant to like go on ahead, and it's just kind of like he just pulls the oil out of nowhere. <laughs> It just does this thing. It's like, and you're anointed. Um, it, it happens very, very quickly. Um, but with these particular elements here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you talked about earlier, so anoint is, uh, he, in Hebrew, this is, he, was, he was the Messiah. And in Greek, this is, he, he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And, and 
I mean, when we when you talk to confirmation students about the threefold office of Christ, you talk about prophet, priest, and king. And in the Old Testament, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, these different offices are, are pointed out specifically with anointing. So the high priests are anointed. The kings are anointed. Uh, the prophets, maybe some of them are, I can't remember. But this is clearly something that went on to, to mark someone out for a specific office. And in, in this case, that office is going to be king, uh, just as the high priests were, were anointed for their specific office of priest. And then it, it also becomes clear, as you said, too, that, that Saul is not only going to be a king, but he is going to be a prophet. And this will happen a couple of different times. Obviously, David is a king who's a prophet as well. One of the things, though, that none of the kings are anointed, though, is as a priest. And those two offices mm -hmm. are specifically separated. Saul will actually get in trouble when he tries to take the office of priest later on, and Samuel will tell him, no, that that was never for you. wasn't enough that you were king, yeah. and, and yeah. Saul will get in trouble for that. But as as a prophet... Clearly, it says God puts his spirit upon him, and as you said, he becomes another man, verse 6, and, and he, become, he, he begins to prophesy among them. And uh, this is another thing to kind of watch as you read through First uh, Samuel especially, is the spirit of the Lord is upon Saul now. He prophesies, he speaks the word of the Lord, things are going well. Later on, once it becomes clear that Saul is not a man after God's heart and that he listens to God kind of and does his own thing <laughs> the rest of the time, there will come a point when it will actually say the Lord removes his spirit from Saul and sends him some kind of troubling spirit. I can't remember the exact wording, but he, he sends oh, him yeah, a yeah, right. spirit that, that troubles him and torments him. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the word in in uh, Hebrew is well, the word that we often translate as evil, but 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 you're right. Like in the in the King James sense of the word evil, it really meant like um, unpleasant, troubling, tormenting. Yeah, right? yeah. Because I mean, David will play the play the the liar and and will calm him down. Right. But but I think this must be something somewhere in the back of David's mind because David will witness this and he will witness. Uh, yeah. Saul's uh, tormenting spirit. And w so when you get to Psalm 51, and he says, after his own sin, after a time when he has rebelled against the Lord and, and gone, obviously, against multiple commandments, David will say, take not your spirit from me. And so yeah. I think this is something that leaves a mark on David when he, when he actually sees what happens when when the spirit of god departs from a person and that person is is left kind of to themselves and their own devices that that david recognizes and this is one of the ways he's a man after god's own heart is he seeks god god's mercy even after he's a sinner he seeks god's mercy and right. forgiveness and says don't remove your spirit from me uh but yeah this I, is I, I a, think yeah yeah, no, that's. I think that's that's right along the same lines that I was uh, thinking about. That, you know, in, in these all these images, right? I mean, it doesn't even matter like who you pick. Basically, I mean, you go back to Moses, right? You go back to Abraham, and 
every one of these like, strong examples of faith, right, are examples of, of people who they had the light of God shine through them for a time, but in mm-hmm. the end, we see how they are faulty, broken, sinful vessels, right? I mean, like Moses, yes. he sins in anger, and he's, I mean, rejected by God as leader and doesn't even get to go into the promised land, right? Um, Abraham yep. did all kinds of ridiculous things that we just won't even enumerate. I mean, I mean, just kind of, so whoever it is, um, you know, yes. like you were saying, David, Solomon, just, just go on the list, they're all like this. And, and so, yes. I mean, I think that to, to look at Saul sympathetically and to say, look, there was a time— um, you know, it doesn't really matter how short. There was a time where, you know, the Spirit of God was on him. He had a yeah. heart that was from God, and the yep. the light of God and his mercy and grace shone through this man. And yeah, um, in the end, we see in many ways how he's a flawed person. But like, what were we expecting? Anything different? Um, it's like that Correct. every single time, and it's like that way for us. And to, to be humble, like you were saying, like, like David— um, you know, and we pray that psalm that that David yes, did, we do. uh, and, and, we, and we say, "Take not your Holy Spirit from me," because we recognize when we are at our best. Really, I think it's when we recognize that anything good that we do is really just because God is inhabiting us, and, mm-hmm. and He's doing the stuff, and, yeah. and it's and it's not us. And, it's, and it's, if we if we keep that humble perspective, th- that's going to go so far. Um, seeing ourselves like a Saul, where we say, "You know what." Lord, it, yeah, if, if you're not the one who changes me and makes me a different man, I'm just going to yeah. be like Saul, like, when he's like that, and he just grabs stuff, takes stuff, you know, abuses his own people, be a coward, whatever the case is, um, and, and know that if we're if there's any good in us, it's just like Saul on his good day here. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, as, as you said, all of the characters in the Old Testament are— like this, all of them are flawed in some way, which which is why it's such a big deal when God says, "Okay, I, I am going to my own son is going to enter the game, and, and yeah. his will be a kingdom that lasts forever." And we all say, "Well, yeah, that that is what we'd need. We we would need a, a, a perfect son, a son of God, to come do this for us." And, and and so all of these people, whether it's Moses or Abraham or Saul to some extent, certainly David in many ways, all of these are types of the Christ, but none of them are the Christ in the same way that Jesus is. And he will fulfill those prophecies perfectly. So I, I think actually that, that answers the the question that, that came in um, about, you know, so is this meant to be viewed as a tragedy, like a, like a Greek tragedy? And and I and I think not. Um, I mean, there's something similar because you know in in the in the Greek tragedies, right? Basically, like there's something decreed by the fates or or the gods, mm-hmm. um, and it's just sort of inevitable. It's going to happen this way, and in the end, we see how yeah, you know, like humans, mere, mere mortals, not even the gods, can like rise against what fates decreed. And and so in, in that sense, like you know, you see some differences, of course, in terms of the theology, but even even on kind of the just kind of rougher level of you know, like, ah, well, he's going to turn out bad. Um, I don't think that's the, the point, because I think, like you were saying, I think he's actually—the point is, he's supposed to, um, ha- on these good days, where he's a different man and he has the Spirit of God, he's supposed to be a type of the Christ to yeah. come. And, and that's yeah. the point of Saul. And, and, and so in that sense, it's, it's not like just like a, a, a despairing tragedy of like, oh, look how this is going to end. I mean, because, I mean, you know, you look at just this whole sweep— of history that that's going to conclude 
in second uh second kings right i mean how it's just going to be yeah and and now the babylonians come and here's the end of it the, the, the whole thing is not a, a tragedy but rather it's hey look at all this stuff look yeah. it, it does all end but what does that mean well it ends and god is faith, faithful so that means something better is coming and and so i think that's actually the point that's why you get to see um you know to so to speak the the light shining on their faces and that glory fade every time mm -hmm. because the fading signifies that a brighter light is still to come. So I, I don't think it's tragic ultimately. It, uh, I think you're right in the, in, in that sense that once, once the nation is defeated, there has to be another one there. It, it because God is a God of the living, right? He, he's a God who resurrects the dead. And so once, once the temple is destroyed, there must be, another one it's not a question of if it's a question of when and uh likewise with with all of these tragic kings and one king after another letting the people down there must be another one there there yeah. has to be this this is how god is there must be he is not going to let it end ultimately he's not going to let it end tragically yep yeah but yeah, I, I think I, I think go ahead go for it well, I was gonna, I was going to say, um, I, you know, I think that that pointing ahead uh, is, is the big idea um, in, in this presentation here, and and I think that even then, this this beginning part, I, I think it does really beautifully point ahead to the Lord Jesus, and and I think it's, I mean, it's it's really cool. He he takes the the flask of oil, pours it on his head, kisses him, um, and these are you know actions that. Uh, where I mean, they, they were common in many ways. I mean, I mean, you know, you you, you kiss someone as a sign of respect. Uh, the early Christians would kiss each other, um, mm -hmm. which is actually still like a a thing. Like in, for instance, in Latin America, where you like you do like the, the kiss on the cheeks thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I've been told that that's like an evolution of like the uh, the kiss of peace. But like, so you know, this, this is these things that yeah, they're cultural um, symbols. But what's striking to me is that this is all done in secret. So like, why would you bother using these like you know, potent cultural <laughs> symbols when there's no one to there, like to appreciate the symbolism. And, and, and I think it, it's because it's, it's pointing ahead here. And this is really just for Saul's sake. Uh, I mean, and, and isn't yeah. it interesting how, how he asks this question, same with this, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? Like, why is he asking a question? It's because he's, he's trying to convince Saul. <laughs> like yeah. you were, like you were saying, like, like Saul, you kind of read this a little between the lines, and I think you're right. You, you kind of get this this sense that Saul's actually pretty skeptical about this whole thing. Like, he's, it's uh -huh. not just humility; it's it's also like, eh, you know, like ah, uh -huh. I, I don't I don't know. But but he's doing this um, for his own sake, and that just I think it points ahead somewhat to how um, you know the the Lord Jesus then is going to be baptized, and no one else is going to see that dove or Other see the John. heavens yeah. rended open necessarily right but yeah. it, it's something that he hears i mean i mean it's just a, it's a fascinating connection well and if you put it together with the second half of the chapter so there is this kind of secret private anointing but then there comes a time when if there's going to be a king everyone needs to know who it is and so That's there right. will be a public proclamation and even jesus in the gospel like you said the the his baptism by John is witnessed apparently just by him and John. But even mm -hmm. Jesus will say, I have another baptized, baptism to be baptized with. And, and 
Uh, you know, he, he can't wait for it to happen. But clearly there he's pointing forward to the cross when publicly he is proclaimed as the Messiah. And, yeah. I mean, this becomes a symbol, right? The symbol doesn't become his baptism by John. As good as that, that is, the symbol becomes the cross and the empty grave. This is what marks yeah. him off. And even he will say, this is the sign, right? If you want a sign, this is it. Uh, there is a way in which, yeah, there is this dual anointing of Saul, a, a private one, but then a public one where he just says quite simply, this is your king. And then yeah. there can well, be, there can be and two I like what you were to saying, that. too. I, well, I like what you're saying, too, about, you know, in the case of the Lord Jesus, that the kind of like public anointing is the well i mean it's hard it's hard you can't really break it down in the gospels because it, it all gets kind of yeah. um artistically melded together the the mm -hmm. the lifting up of the lord on the cross mm -hmm. his his being lifted up out of the grave and he's being lifted up into the sky as the ascended king um so like it, all the all the lifting up there um you you see too like like you just pointed out um if you kind of make that connection to saul and the uh the throwing of the lots right it's like well you had lots there at the foot of the cross too right like it's just kind of crazy how there's like, like an immense amount of of details and and you mentioned the thing about the sign i mean doesn't this sound just like luke um and you will save yeah. them from the hand of their surrounding enemies and this shall be the sign to you i mean yes. that sounds exactly like the first couple chapters of luke it, it really is uh it's something how it seems like uh, there's a really profound echo going on. Yeah, and, and as we were saying, so, so once it becomes public, once you do know that he is the king, he is the one that God has chosen. There can only be two. There can only be two reactions: either long live the king, or yeah. how can this man save us? Clearly, with doubt and unbelief. Right? Yeah. This is the same kind of reaction that, that the people have to Saul. Uh, either they can accept it or they can reject it. But they, this, yeah. this, is, this is the way it's always going to be with the Lord's anointed. Uh, there could be two reactions. Uh, and even here, I mean, it's uncharacteristically for Saul, especially as he, as he uh, develops in his office, he actually loves these enemies in that he doesn't put them to death when he has a chance. Uh, and that's yeah, a couple chapters that, later. Yeah, I know, but that that's that, that is. I mean, this really is right. It's like you don't want to just throw away Saul because here Saul on his good day because he's got mm -hmm. the spirit of the Lord on him and he, and God's given him a new heart. Do, look at this because this is a window into seeing Christ. Right, this is Christ on the cross praying for his enemies. Right, mm -hmm. like Father, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing. Um, this, this is pointing ahead to how, how the Lord, like you were saying, there'll be those who mock him. Well, how can he mm -hmm. be the Messiah if he, and, and, and save us if he can't even save himself? Um, but also the reaction, Hosanna, which effectively in that context meant long live the king. Um, yes. but ultimately the fuller realization of that Jesus is Lord, um, the most profound statement of, of long live the king i mean i mean it's like don't throw this chapter away it's it's just it's the gospel of jesus christ it is and it and it is again god fulfilling pro both promises that he had made and working it together with what the people want 
they want a king. And God said, God recognizes their desire was a sinful one, but he's still going to work with it. You want a king? Yeah. I will give you a king. And, and they're going to find out that the king that they want, they, they tend to choose apparently by, uh, by looks. He, he looks the part. And I, I mean, Isaiah will ultimately say that the, the, the true king won't look that way. He, he, he will not look uh, the part, but he is going to be the man. And uh, you have, uh, well, I forgot what I was going to say, but uh, you, you do have this, this two kinds of reactions that can come. Uh, yeah. And, and with, oh, here we go. God was going to work with them. So they want a king, yeah. God's going to work through a king. And, and it's somehow both their prayers and his plan is going to work together, just as it will later on in the Gospels. They want the guy killed. God says, yep. okay, we will roll with this plan. And it's yep. still going to work out my way. It, it's ama- it's amazing, right? I mean, there there is a t- profound will of God, will of man paradox, right? I mean, there's there's going to be so many different uh, sets of motivations in the Gospels, right? There's going to be mm-hmm. the Sadducees that are trying to maintain their own power. There's going to be the Pharisees that don't like being eclipsed. There's going to be Judas who has his own ideas about how the reign of God is supposed to happen, and like he's like, you know, we should be keeping a lower profile and just doing more charity work, right? I mean, like everyone's got their own agenda, will of man all over the place, crucify him, as you said. But paradoxically, it all ends up, like you're saying, like God's like, okay, I can work with that too. I, I mean, it's just kind of like all all roads lead to God's will somehow. And um, I mean, it really, it, it's it, I mean, it's a showcasing of His providence, but also of His mercy that He would, I mean, allow. Um, yeah. I mean, that He would deign to still save us, right? Even on our ridiculous, ugly, cruel terms that we that we yeah. constantly insist upon. I, I think the point there you made is profound, and and, and um and I think. I want to maybe uh, we only have like maybe six minutes left here. Um, I want to get back to the other thing you were mentioning too about this this father son thing. Um, mm-hmm. There in verse was it two right? Um, now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys is anxious about you. Um, you know, so he he goes back home. Um, and I want to come back to the prophets thing, but just on on the father son bit, like then you were saying that his uncle asks about it, he doesn't actually tell uh, his uncle the whole story, so. I think there's a little bit of this—I'll uh, just throw this out here. The way that I want to see this as is that Saul is being presented here not as um, Kish's son, right? Because like that, that's the question, right? Hang on, isn't this Correct. Kish's son? Like, is Saul yeah. one of the prophets? I mean, but didn't they say the same thing about the Lord Jesus? Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? <laughs> Good like, point. why is he saying all these things, right? I mean, basically saying, like, like is he a prophet all of a sudden? So it, it, there's a uh-huh. profound parallel there. And the point there in the Gospels is, well, no, he ultimately he's not just Joseph's son. He's God's son. And I think here it's yeah. actually the message, too. This, this, this guy's the son of God. This is the language that you have in, in the Psalms where, where son of God is a messianic title. And, and yeah, he's the Messiah. And yeah. Ultimately, with this new heart, that's from God, not from man. Yeah. Well, in, in the Gospels, they say, who taught this man these things? Yeah. And th- this yeah. is kind of the reaction. And it's also, uh, I think, from the question, like, not something that they expected from Saul of all people. However well he was before, I mean, we don't know that much about him before, but clearly the people see him prophesying, and they say, wait a second, I, is Saul one of those guys? Since when? 
<laughs> where, yeah, where right. Where did Saul get religion, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, you know exactly. I, I think that the, the proverb. I mean, the, we have the word proverb there, but I think it's kind of like a, it's like a saying, right? And 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 you can kind of uh, imagine someone using this, you know, like someone like you know, um, I, I I don't know. It's like someone like you know, the couch potato comes home with like a weight set and a gym membership, yeah. and you're like, oh, I saw also among the prophets, you know, like you just you <laughs> people would kind of use it like like with mocking, like like what, like and who do you think you are? You know, who died and made you king, or something along those lines, right? It, 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 um, is, it is unexpected in that way. And yeah. yet, this is, as you said, this is a phrase that we'll track down with him a couple times, because he, he will, again, prophesy. And clearly, as unlikely as other people take it to be, the answer is yes. Saul is among yeah. the prophets. God places his spirit upon him. He prophesies, not only here, but, but later on as well. And... and tying it in with with the anointing and being the son of god he is so because god made him so because god declared him so and and that's what samuel's getting at right like when when samuel's like saying you know uh i mean it's fascinating the way he talks about the spirit of the lord will rush upon you you'll prophesy be turned to another man now when these signs meet you do what your hand finds to do for god is with you i mean he's just saying like just go with it, right? Go with the flow. Yeah. I mean, th- this sounds like the Lord Jesus telling the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit's going to give you something, and just say it. Just just do yeah. the thing. It's not even going to be you doing it. I mean, I, I think that uh, one of the questions that came in over email was, you know, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon the faithful. Is this kind of a, a similar image? I, I think absolutely this is this is the image. I mean, not necessarily in, uh, in all the dramatic form that, you know, we you know, were prophesying in tongues necessarily— but that that idea of what, what, again, like when we were at our best, it's like it's like we're just getting out of the way. Yeah. Well, and as you said, the the, the question in chapter or in verse one is the question: Hasn't the Lord done this to you? Hasn't the Lord anointed yeah. you? The answer is yeah. yes. Th- this is where his certainty is going to come from. It, 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 if he wants to look there, is his, his kingdom doesn't rest even on his own might or strength. It rests on the fact that the Lord is the one who has anointed him, and to, to tie it in with every Christian. Isn't the Lord who is the one who has baptized you? Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, then I'm good. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's like the Lutheran emphasis of remembering the baptism, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. we, we look at ourselves and we're like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm a Saul, right? I'm no David. And, 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 we, and we start looking at our own piety, and, and it's just we're, we're just, we're just getting, we're get, we're getting lost. We're getting off, off track, right? Because the question is, is like what Samuel said, right? It's like, hasn't he anointed you? Like you said, hasn't he baptized you? That's what matters. And so it doesn't matter how uh, flaw, flawed and, and faulty we are. And and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating because, you know, Samuel, he points at him according to his outward appearance, right? When, when he is found among mm-hmm. the baggage, it's just hilarious to me. I'm thinking about like Shaquille O'Neal trying to hide behind like, you <laughs> know, roll away yeah. bags and stuff. It's like, I don't, you know, um, but but so like you know he looks at the outward appearance right but that's for their sake right because they they well, just kind of need still to got see a little bit of that Samuel's infected by that too because even when he goes yeah. to Jesse's house yeah fair <laughs> that's fair no that's right uh, well well I think I think that Samuel I, on a certain level probably is like uh, God they're never going to go along with this right <laughs> you know like like <laughs> you, you need to give me something more to work with they're not gonna they're not gonna uh-huh. buy this. Uh, but so he points to the outward appearance, right? But at the end of the day, it's that sovereign choice of God. It's here's the lots, right? Um, yep. Which which is a fascinating thing. How it's like we know how the lots are going to turn out, and it's very dramatically, um, bit by bit. I mean, it's much like the Gospels, how we're just like, 
how is Jesus supposed to be a Messiah? They're crucifying him. All yep. these things end up lining up God's way. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, oh, just Good a wonderful here. chapter and never enough time to talk about it, especially today. But God bless you. Looking forward to having you on again really soon. Everybody, that was Pastor Scott Adel at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, going on to chapter 11 of Samuel. Saul actually taking to the battlefield. Till then, I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.